Welcome to the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast, where we bring you interesting and hopefully entertaining and informative podcasts about a myriad of topics. I'm Al Dunn. This time we're looking at young people's mental health. Our guests are Dr. Olive Maloney, chartered member of the Psychological Society of Ireland and member of the PSI's Division of Clinical Psychology. Olive is a clinical manager at Jigsaw, the National Service for Youth Mental Health. And Karen O'Donoghue from Jigsaw's Youth Advisory Council. You're both very welcome. Can we start with maybe giving us a brief overview of what youth mental health relates to? Just to, I suppose, define young person to begin with. Um, WHO talks about adolescents being 10 to 19 and youth being 15 to 24. Um, and the UN calls a young person 15 to 24. So I suppose overall, the category of young people from the World Health Organization refers to 10 to 24 year olds. Um, I suppose within Ireland, then the Department of Children and Youth Affairs set up um, the Children and Young People's Services Committees back in 2007 under their Working Together for Children initiative. Um, And they extended the age range of young people or youth from zero to 24. So when we talk about youth mental health, I think we different services will work with different uh, youth within those different categories. Um, Jigsaw, where we work, works with 12 to 25 year olds. So again, maybe even a slightly different interpretation of it. I guess we're looking at an age range of adolescence in which we look at uh, transitions and changes um, that might refer to that period of time in which a young person is moving from adolescence into emerging adulthood, um, which as we know, kind of has extended the definition of, of adolescence Um, So that young people are buying houses later, they're getting married later, having children later. Um, So we would we would see up to 25 as being as being the age range for for young people. Perceptually, are people aware of that? I certainly wasn't. I would have thought youth mental health would have, you know, gone up to maybe 17, 18 years old, because at that stage you're deemed an adult. Sure. It's an interesting thing where legally, yes, you become an adult at 18. And and Karen might speak to this in a minute. Um, And and actually, I suppose just within our own organisation, anecdotally, a lot of young people wouldn't have been aware that over 18s are entitled to access the service for free. Mm. Um, now, within other services, so, so for example, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, they are up to 18. Um, and then the adult mental health services will, will take over from 18 onwards. Um, so it will depend on what service you're accessing, the, the definition of young person or, or youth. Are people of that age group who have mental health issues, are they aware that, they, that they're in this category? I think it depends. I definitely don't think um, as a 19 year old myself that we think that 25 is still considered young person. But if you were attending Jigsaw, it is. And then other services differ. So I think it's only when you really start looking through the services and the age range that you figure it out. It seems that there's no one set. This is a young person. There's no set age range. It depends on the service you're looking for and the help you want to get. I think that's really interesting. How prevalent are mental health issues among young people in Ireland? This is an interesting one where I suppose we know um, that one in 10 young people is the usual statistic um, coming from the UK will will have a diagnosis of a disorder. I suppose what we know is that 
um, 75% of adults who are diagnosed with mental health disorders have experienced mental health difficulties by the age of 24. And 50% of adults have experienced difficulties by the age of 14. Um, so I suppose it, it depends a little bit whether you're thinking about disorders and diagnoses or self-reported difficulties. Um, there are about a third of Ireland's population are young people who are under 25. So that's 1.6 million people. So, you know, and we spend about 8.2 billion a year on mental health difficulties in Ireland. So that's not necessarily disorders or illness, like I say. Was what we know from a recent survey that was um, conducted by University College Dublin in collaboration with Jigsaw, which was, you know, about 19,000 young people. So it's the largest survey that we have um, and the most recent one. Um, so the self-reported um, depression, anxiety and stress scale, 40% of young people on that, so age between 12 and 25, reported to be outside the normal range for depression. That's not necessarily to meet the threshold or criteria for a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And 49% outside the normal range for anxiety. So those, those stats give you some sense of the kinds of difficulties that young people are, are facing. There's a notable increase in anxiety and depression from the first My World survey that was done in 2012. Um, but there have been positive areas or changes in other areas, such as reduction in the percentage of young people being being bullied. So, um, but yeah, things, things seem to be on the rise. And how many of these people actually look for help? I mean, early intervention, you've said before, that, that that's very important. How many people do look for that? So the vast majority of young people will seek support, but they'll do that informally to begin with. Um, so we know that about a quarter of um, the adolescent group within that survey, for example, um, who are uh, between the ages of 12 and 19. Um, so a quarter of those people didn't seek help at all when they wrote on the survey. And 9% of the older age group um, who were you know, 18 to 25 they didn't seek help. Um, but of those who do, it's informally that people seek support. And, you know, I can tell you that it's generally. Um, so for the younger group, it's friends who come first and then, uh, sorry, parents who come first and then friends and then online. And then for the, the older uh, age group, it's um, friends who come first and then parents and online. Karen, you're involved in some of this early intervention. I mean, how, how does it work with you? Um, so I think that it's generally accepted that the earlier you start to discuss something, the easier that it will be um, to sort of get through that and cope. So sharing a problem is really halving a problem. And as Olive said there, like young people, it might not necessarily be um, a mental health service, but it might be friends or it might be some one that um, a young person trusts. So I think it's interesting that the coping strategies for young people, like the most popular are friends, music and sport and exercise. So that seems to be very taking on the role themselves of trying to sort out their issues. And I think that if we can get across to young people that there is help out there from early on that often young people think that their problems are too small and that they shouldn't be shared, that it's nothing. People have bigger problems than them. 
often these small problems can cause those bigger problems down the line. Is there a difference, did you find in the in the survey between the numbers of males who look for help and females who look for help? Do, do young men kind of have to put on the brave face and, and are, are less likely to, to look for help? Yeah, unfortunately, there's still a, a gender difference in that young men tend not to seek help as readily, um, formally or informally. Yeah, um, in the survey as well, the self-reported um, feeling of depression and anxiety was higher among female adolescents. So it's not necessarily that they had a higher amount, but it's how comfortable they are sharing that and how aware they are sharing that, which I think is interesting. You've talked about anxiety. I mean, can you give some other examples of things that impact on young people's mental health? Some of the top stressors, um, not necessarily putting a name on the issue, but where this stress comes from has been school, exams, homework, small percentage, money problems as well, family, friends. It's where we spend most of our time that can cause that stress. Not necessarily that these things are bad, but obviously if you're in school or a job for a couple of hours a day, five days a week, you are going to you are going to be affected by it, sometimes good and sometimes bad. So those are the top stressors that young people have identified. Have these things always been there and we're just more likely to talk about them these days? It's a good question. I don't know uh, that we have a clear answer to that. Hmm. Um, I suppose what we know, and Karen and I were involved in writing a paper recently with a couple of colleagues about the level of stress within society generally appears to have increased and that's possibly related to our move from being a more collective society to being a more individualistic focused one um, in which people are potentially seen as both the cause and the solution to their own problems. Um, so we, we kind of would see maybe issues as being more intrapsychic or more within a person rather than something that's to do with their um, interaction with the environment around them. So as Karen mentioned, obviously young people are talking about school and exam stress. These are external pressures mm-hmm. over which often we have little locus of control or little ability to change or deal with, which can make us feel out of control, which can make us feel more worried. I suppose there are things that we can do Um, to support ourselves and also at times to change the external, so to change the system. Political with a small p can actually be supportive of people's mental health, even if it is connecting with other people who face the same issues as you. So joining like Karen has done a youth advisory panel or, um, you know, the councils in in schools can actually give uh, students or young people control over some of the issues which do stress them out. How does it work then, Karen, say, in, in your school in relation to helping people cope with these things? Well, there is a, I'm in college at the moment and there is um, a free counselling service which people can avail of, which I think is a really positive step because, as I said, like money problems is, while it's not the largest percentage of a stressor for young people, it's definitely there. And I think having this free service, it shows this is important, therefore we are going to make it as easy as possible for young people to access. And also just having um, kind of versatility with that as well, like you don't have to actually go and see the counsellor, you can um, 
phone them or have a Zoom call. I think that the pandemic has kind of brought that about as well. So some young people might actually access that service because they'd feel more comfortable doing it over the phone or doing it over Zoom where they're in their own environment. And I think steps like that show that there is an importance on youth mental health and talking about your problems. And I think that's really positive. How long does it take if you want to make an appointment with a counsellor? Um, it depends because there because you can do phone calls and you can do mm. Zoom calls as well. There is more open. There is more availability for that. But um, they obviously take into account what you're dealing with and they will see you first to kind of identify the situation. And they might not, they might signpost you to go somewhere else where you might receive the appropriate help if they're not the right person. We were just talking about early intervention earlier and the importance of kind of addressing the overall population's level of mental health and well-being so that everyone's kind of feeling better. But there are always going to be a need for the crisis services. So if somebody can't access a service quickly, there are, you know, crisis numbers like the Pieta House Helpline, there's the Samaritans, um, there are 24-7 lines out there that people can call if they really need support in the meantime. And how do you help get that message across to them that they're not alone, that other people are going through this as well and there is help out there? Yeah, I mean, Karen, again, you might you might speak to this, but I just I suppose yeah. to say that we're trying to reach young people in whatever way speaks to them. Um, so for, I mean, what we know is that young people do talk to their friends and family um, and they do go online. So with friends and family, I suppose we're trying to reach young people through through the Internet, through websites, things like Spun Out, um, My Mental Health. There's lots of different ways to get the same information as well as going online to social media through Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is that kind of will reach young people. I think schools are important places. Like Karen said, a lot of young people spend their, you know, the majority of their time in school. So really teachers are champions of mental health and well-being, although their primary focus is, of course, education in order to be able to achieve kind of educational outcomes, a young person needs to be supported in doing that. So GPs, there's the primary care um, I suppose, landscape or, or ladder within within Ireland in which a lot of, of people populate that. Um, it will be public health nurses, it will be occupational therapists and physios, and um, all of these people are out there to, to try and ensure the young person does feel like they can access support and that they're not the only person facing this, that they're not alone. But Karen, you may see this differently. Um, I think that... I would agree with all that as well. But I think from a young person's point of view, like peer to peer support and talking about it in your informal friend groups is really important. I think the message is a lot stronger coming from a young person, even just to say it's okay to get help or I've gone through this as well, like something as simple as that. It's among our peers, especially in um, the article that we helped to write, um, it was peer-to-peer support, what did come up um, high for what young people could do to support each other. And if those stressors are school, if they are those places, college, we have our friends there as well. And it's not just teachers and adults. There's also that kind of support group among people our own age, which I think is really important. 
And the current pandemic hasn't helped with mental health in general. I mean, we're working with some students doing doing podcasts, uh, media students, about, about how they're getting on and how it's affecting them. How has it impacted on young people in general? I think it's affected everyone differently. I think some people prefer um, the type of climate we're living in at the moment where they don't have as much pressure to go out they don't have that pressure facing loads of people every day I think that does suit some people and for people who have been coping with anxiety over the last few years or in even before this pandemic are possibly more at ease with because they're used to they know how to cope they know what they need to do um, I think everything's just heightened at the moment and there definitely is a large number of people struggling. I think that being a young person in this time is a unique situation. There's nothing to kind of go off. You can't really compare it to anything. So resources are being developed now as the situation's going on to try and help young people at the time they're at now. And I think just even hearing from young people on the radio or on TV, hearing their experience when you get those glimmers of hope I hear it and I go I get what they're saying like there's sort of an understanding there when you hear it from a young person's point of view because everyone's coping with it differently but there's something about that shared experience that's um, good Mm -hmm. to hear. We're, We're hopefully going to have the vaccine things will get back to normal is that going to create more issues in other ways as we do get back to normality? I suppose I'm just thinking about Karen's really lovely way of putting it, that this affects everybody differently. As a a clinical psychologist working within Jigsaw, we're we're a transdisciplinary organisation, but my focus would be on formulation and thinking about how each individual's kind of context and experience and and, and life really has led to their current experience of of difficulty. Um, So it's very hard to predict how this is going to impact on different people. Um, like Karen said, some people are perfectly at ease with with the online and with kind of not having to have face to face interaction with people. For others, that sense of isolation and loneliness is really increased, um, particularly at a time in, in uh, adolescence and young adulthood when a sense of identity and belonging really requires a, a connection to others. Uh, and for some people, the face to face can't be replaced by the online. Um, so it's it's hard to know how things are going to, to pan out. I suppose it'll be um, interesting to interesting to, to see how supports are put in place kind of at local level in, in workplaces um, through the government, mm. particularly for young people who've been unemployed during this period of time where, like Karen has said, like money and, and financial stresses can be a huge um, difficulty for people. Um, recently, the government have sort of praised young people for how they've handled the pandemic as the instance rate among young people has come down considerably. It came down from something like um, 400 to something like 70. And so I think once young people are given that little bit of interaction, once you can go out and see one or two friends out in the open, just those little steps will encourage people to be safe. I think it's just the complete isolation is a very difficult thing to deal with. But as we're 
opening up and moving towards the vaccine, I think those little interactions will be very helpful for young people. Uh, what supports are there, finally, if someone's listening to this and recognises themselves as someone they know in the discussion we've just had? And we've gone through a few of them. Do you want to just mention them again? So obviously there's online and at the moment that's probably the predominant means. Um, Jigsaw has uh, a lot of support online. There's Ask Jigsaw Question, there's live chats and there are group chats. There are loads of webinars on there. Spun Out is brilliant. There are others within that online um, system as well. Then obviously there's the informal family and friends, there's school, youth clubs and youth services. They're all adapting to the current context. I guess on the early intervention level, there's always the GP and the GP is often thought about as just in relation to physical health, but actually the GP is a gatekeeper for mental health services as well. So the secondary tier mental health services like the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service or the Adult Mental Health Service are both accessible through your GP. Um, Samaritans, Pieta House, Disability Services, there's your local counselling services for those struggling with school. And there are a lot out there at the moment. There's TUSLA, so the Education Support Service at TUSLA. Um, they've been doing fantastic work trying to encourage and support young people to attend school when that's possible. There's also just looking for different events that are happening online, not even if you're looking for support, but if you just want to get more information, there is really a lot online and to make use of that um, as well. I think the key is that you're not alone and there are support groups out there. There is a specific support for you no matter what. I think everybody's really feeling this at the moment. Um, This is, you know, in the context of refugee crises, you know, there's a global pandemic and there's climate kind Mm. of uh, crises at the moment as well. So looking after ourselves and each other is more important than ever. So in terms of early intervention prevention, we can all um, do what we call five a day. That's connecting to people, that's being active. So doing things that you enjoy, whether that's physical or otherwise, taking notice of where you are at right now, how you feel, the things around you in the world keeping learning. So trying something out maybe for the first time or picking up something that you would have learned before giving and something that really supports our own mental health is actually supporting others. Um, so that's one where, you know, it doesn't cost anything um, to to join something, to, to try and reach out to the other people in your community. And that might be asking for, for support as well. That might be giving other people an opportunity to support you. Five really good points. Connecting, being active, taking notice, keeping learning and giving. Dr. Olive Maloney, chartered member of the Psychological Society of Ireland and a member of PSI's Division of Clinical Psychology and Karen O'Donoghue from Jigsaw's Youth Advisory Council. Thank you for joining me today. That was the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast. If you want more information, you can check out the website psychologicalsociety.ie and specifically the Find a Psychologist section. We'll see you next time.